Go for it. Hello and welcome everyone to our encounter lesson. This is for January 3rd of 2021. Yay! We've made it to the new year. Praise God. I am Reverend Becky Zardi and I pastor two churches in Western Kentucky and I am joined today by our adult ministry coordinator, uh, Reverend Chris Fleming, you can just call him Chris, that's good, and Pastor Logan Dixon from Arkansas. Thank you for being here again. I'm so glad y'all are here. Um, for those of you that don't know, please remember that Cumberland Road is an amazing podcast hosted by Reverend TJ Malinowski. And it is a place where we explore Cumberland Presbyterians inspiring faith journeys with God and how their faith impacts their daily lives. And a new episode of that comes out every Tuesday. I think they are taking a break between Christmas and New Year, though. So Okay. Okay. But you can find that wherever you get podcasts from Cumberland Road. And I think, uh, Logan, you and I have both been on that, haven't we? We have uh, the only the only one of us that hasn't been on that yet is Chris and yeah. wow I don't know. okay TJ doesn't like me something. I don't know what <laughs> it is. oh so awesome so awesome today our lesson is on Luke two wisdom from above um, the scripture reading comes from Luke chapter two forty one through fifty two and our memory verse for this week is, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. That is verse 52. So before we dive in this morning, let's go for our prayer of illumination. Holy God, calm anything in our minds that would hinder us from properly understanding your word today. Take the pride from our hearts that keep us from receiving your word. Give us your spirit so that what we hear becomes alive to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, Chris, you were our author this week. Yeah. So what was your point? What do you hope people take away from this lesson? Um, short in a sentence would be that true wisdom comes from above, right? And I guess to expand that a little bit, wisdom comes by revelation. And then um, True wisdom is the application of the knowledge we receive from revelation, maybe. That would be the best way to say it. Um, so, and, and I, I guess that's the, it's a good summary. Wisdom from above, wisdom or knowledge applied to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself, I think is Amen. Where, where to go. Amen. So in our introduction today, um, Chris, you started off with some great quotes from C.S. Lewis. Do you want to tell us about some of those? Sure, yeah. So um, as, as a pastor for how many ever years and trying to help people guide through life and then also trying to figure out what the difference is between just being good and being Christian, that's a big thing that's come up in my life because um, I think a lot of times we struggle with the difference. Um, just because you're good doesn't mean you're being Christian necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then also I've, I've thought a lot about what Paul says when he says, you know, I'm free to do anything, but there's some things I probably shouldn't do, right? Like just because I can, doesn't mean I should. And then just mm. because somebody tells me I shouldn't, doesn't mean that I shouldn't like, uh, and, and the only way that then, you know, whether something is right or honorable before God is if you know, if it's right or honorable before God. And so what C.S. Lewis in his, uh, in this essay that he did, he, he said, you know, 
there's a difference like between what, you know, a materialist that doesn't believe in God or someone who believes in Christ, uh, the end, end game will be different and things will look different. Um, he brings up certain things like education. Yes, everybody wants education, but what's the end goal of education? For a Christian, it's different than it would be for a non-Christian, the ultimate. Um, uh, and I guess that's, that's kind of, that's what C.S. Lewis was going for that. And then he wanted to make sure that nobody just said Christianity was a religion to make you better. Although it can do that. It's not the point of Christianity. Christianity is meant to transform you from who you were to who God's created you to be, to redeem that fallen person uh, that you are. That's the point of Christianity, not whether it makes you good, but it, really if it makes you Christ-like and redeems you. So that's where I came from in that introduction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Logan, we kind of talked a little bit earlier about that. What, what are your thoughts on, on that whole concept? Well, I mean, I think that's very true. And I think, I think so many times uh, we fall into the trap of believing that Christianity is just to make us better people or to make us good people. Um, but <clears throat> the truth is that we can be good and still not be Christian. We can be, and the reason we can be good and still not be Christian is because we can look to our works, we can look to our progress, and we can look at all the great things we do and fail to look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's a very good point. Um, and I think in the lesson here is really good. Lewis goes on to explain that there is much common ground between Christians and materialists, but at the end of the day, Christians and materialists view the world differently. Uh, Christians and materialists define good differently. A materialist will see what makes most people happy as good. You know, if it feels good, do it. That's what a materialist says, you know, and we see that a lot in the world today. You know, you know, if it, if it feels good, if it makes you happy, if it makes chemicals in your brain flow, then go ahead and do it. It must be good. Um, but then the Christian will define good as something that brings glory to God, whether or not it makes people happy. Mm-hmm. Now, whenever we talk about that, we have to be careful to we have to be careful because people might say, oh, well, you you're, you're trying to say that God doesn't care about people's happiness. And and I think mm-hmm. and I think to some degree that's that's not true. Like if you go to Psalm one, for example, you'll read. Um, blessed is the man who, uh, blessed is the man who, uh, does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the company of mockers. The word blessed there is often translated as happy. And so God is giving us a guide to happiness that makes us holy. Um, and so as opposed to, as opposed to walking in the advice of the wicked or standing in the path of sinners, um, the, the happy person, the blessed person, uh, his delight is in the instruction and in the law of the Lord, and he meditates in it day and night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and then what happens as a result of that is he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. That's Psalm 1, 1 through 3. And so whenever you look at whenever you look at the idea of being happy in that light, 
God has a way for us to be happy, but it's not a way that the world is going to see as happy. It's not a way that the materialist is going to see as, as being happy. Instead, what happiness is to God is holiness. And whenever you're pursuing holiness, whenever you are pursuing righteousness, you're going to find happiness because your, your desire is going to be for God. And, you know, if your desire is for God, you're going to find God and that's going to make you happy. I think when you say it like that, you know, we, we were kind of talking before we started. Um, it, it's, it's almost what makes me happy is pecan pie and banana pudding and all the other bad things, but diabetes is terrible. So, I mean, I can be happy and eat everything that I want and then right. I can die. Um, or, I can feed my body the right fuel and become again from last Sunday or the last lesson, we become more fully human. Our bodies work better. We have Mm -hmm. a better, when we do things that maybe temporarily doesn't make us as happy, ultimately Mm -hmm. makes us more human. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. and and that's the same with the wisdom, as you were saying, I think that's how Mm -hmm. I look at it and think that's the way it biblically should be looked at. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great, that's a great point. Cause you said what makes us temporarily unhappy. Um, you know, I, I think we were talking about, we just celebrated Christmas, right? We just, we just moved past that. And sometimes when we are Christ-like or following that Christ-like mentality, sometimes we have to do things that don't necessarily make us happy, Right. <laughs> you know, um, but it's for the glory of God, you know? I mean, let's, let's be honest. Let's be completely honest. Christmas Eve service, you know, uh, there's several denominations that do a midnight type of service. Who really wants to go at 11.59, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I am not one of those. 10 o'clock, I'm done. I'm over. I want to go to bed. You know, uh, I'm not totally sold on the being in church at 11.59, though I have been to them and I love them and I think they're beautiful, but that does not make me happy to not be in my pajamas and ready for bed. Let's, you know, but does it give God the glory? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so I was never able to get the midnight one, but we did do <laughs> nine o'clock service at Martin for a while. I love that. Y'all are so funny. <laughs> my my wife and I made a tradition when we first got married of going to uh, midnight mass, uh, or you know, I guess it's midnight service, midnight uh, mass at uh, All Saints Episcopal Church um, in Russellville, and it was it was always beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do. That, they are beautiful. Yeah. So sorry, Becky. We'll we'll pray for no, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. But I get the point. I mean, but you could say yeah. it at any point in time. Like when you wake up and, and my kids, they didn't want to go to church all the time. But mm-hmm. you know, I think they right. they were able to develop a one of determination to hearing the word from God, three friends that still uh, so there's temporary unhappiness that leads to a greater happiness. Yes. greater wisdom and all this just yeah and i think that's the whole point um your your closing sentence here in the introduction is as christians we also seek wisdom from above right. it's not it's not ourself it's not the wisdom 
that we ourselves have gained, but the wisdom from God to know how to walk in his path, even if it does make us temporarily unhappy. And it probably will. You're right. Right. Is there anything else in the introduction before we jump on to exploring scripture that y'all wanted to hit on? I think I'm good on it. Thanks. Okay. All right. Exploring the scripture. What was your point in this one? Yeah, right. So I just threw in that first paragraph too to know that there have there, you know, like today, uh, there's different theologies, different stories, different understandings of Jesus and all all that. But um, like we only have a very very small select scripture that talks about Jesus before he started his, you know, after the presentation at the temple and then um, him. Uh, proclaiming the start of his ministry right and this is one of them but there were stories that were going around like um and so i just brought up this emphasis gospel of thomas you can find that on on the internet and you know just as a way of of just seeing more things obviously it's not scripture i'm not even endorsing it or i'm not even telling you to go read it just people thought about these things um and it gives a little um just a extra here's what at least some groups of Christian were thinking about Jesus and, and his life and, and all that. Um, but I think what I was really just trying to do here in this part of the lesson uh, was to um, start connecting wisdom with the law and mm-hmm. observing the law and, and not just for the sake of observing the law, but it is our way of submitting ourselves. Basically it is a classroom right? It's how, it's how God teaches us uh, a little bit of what wisdom looks like. And we get some grains and nuggets of wisdom uh, through, like the Psalm says, meditating on God's word day or night or these kinds of things. Um, And then just as a way of uh, summarizing, it's at this point in the life of Christ where Luke fully stamps Jesus as the divine son of God. So in the first, you know, chapter and a half, um, you hear about Joseph being his father and, and this, you know, his earthly father. And, and, you know, Joseph is being the earthly dad, bringing his family to the temple. But at the point where Christ says, I'm in my father's house, that's the end of Joseph so far as the contextual part of the story. So now Luke is transitioning to say, okay, Definitely, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. No doubt. You can't make up any stories. This is now his true full identity. He's not just the son of a carpenter uh, anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's where I was heading on that lesson or that part of the lesson. Logan, what did you think? I thought it was great. Um, And I feel like I feel like Chris is, is right about, you know, Luke showing us that jesus is the son of god through um through the first two portions of 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 luke there you know i whenever someone asks me whenever someone is kind of new to the christian faith or new to the to the bible and they want to know where they should start reading i always tell them to read john chapter one like maybe one through one like halfway through john chapter one and then go and read the entire gospel of luke because John chapter one's where you're going to see, you know, 
that Jesus was from before all creation. He's right. one with the Father. And then Luke is going to give you, to the best of his ability, the entirety of Jesus's ministry. Um, right. Luke's gospel is, is the longest of the four gospels. And the reason it's so mm-hmm. long is because Luke is thoroughly showing you um, exactly who Jesus is. He's, mm-hmm. he's bringing out many things in detail uh, that you might not pick up, might not notice. He's also writing to a man named, uh, man named uh, I want to say his name's Theophilus. Mm-hmm. Um, he's writing his gospel to a man named Theophilus, and Theophilus is new to the Christian faith. He's a Gentile. And so what Luke is doing through his gospel is he's kind of inserting all of the defin- all of the Hebrew definitions of certain words and cultural practices that, that the Jews would do. Now, M- Matthew didn't have to do that so much because Matthew was primarily writing to the Jews. Luke is writing to Gentiles who aren't familiar with Jewish customs and practices. Mm-hmm. And so if you really are new to the Christian faith, if you really want to look at who Jesus is through new eyes, I recommend you, you read the Gospel of Luke and pay, pay very close attention to the first two chapters. Um, I think, and, oh, go ahead, Becky. I know earlier we had kind of discussed a, a little bit about how Christ leads us to the law, like submission to the law. And, and I think a lot of us have that perspective that if we're following the law, it's that, that kind of Pharisee thought process yeah. of, you know, we're being this, but that's not what we mean when we talk about submitting to the law. And I think Logan, you had mentioned something earlier uh, about that whole concept of Christ and the law. Yeah. Um, so, we have a problem, I think, in the Protestant church, particularly in the South, um, which I don't know. I guess it could be a problem up north, too, but I, I primarily see it here in the South. You know, Christians come to church and they believe that, you know, well, now that we're saved, now that we live in the New Covenant, the law doesn't matter. And so I don't have to worry about all that Old Testament stuff. I can just pay attention to the New Testament and sometimes don't even do that. But... Um, we, but we definitely don't have to take the law into consideration. I mean, that's not true because, the, because, yeah, you're not justified by works of the law. We know that. But the law is a pattern for life. The, if you – let's just, let's just say, for example, that you're not a believer, okay? Let's just say if you're not a believer and you do your dead-level best – to mm-hmm. live out the Ten Commandments just as a general guide for your life, you're going to be a lot better off than someone who professes to be a Christian and completely neglects the law of God and just goes to church on Sunday and shows up and that's it. Yeah. That's, that's just true. how it is. <laughs> right. So if we, so obviously we're not, I mean, the vocabulary has, we're not saved by the law. Heavens knows. No. But so the way I've always thought about this too, is if people think about their pocketbooks, if you're making investments, say you've got a million dollars, you're not just throwing money anywhere you want to, but if you got a million bucks, you're going to do some study. You're going to do some preparation and you're going to figure out which stocks you think are going to do well and whatnot. You're going to invest that money purposely using all this, all these resources as your guide. And mm-hmm. then, you know, pretty much probably hundred percent of the time, 
you're going to be better off. And in some sense, that's the uh, Logan, before we got on, we talked about this third use of the law. There's a general, um, it is used for our benefit and the benefit of society uh, that it, it's not, um, it's not something that we have to climb up the ladder and achieve every rung because we won't Christ saves us. However, right. um, we use the law as the words of God and to mm -hmm. instruct us in faith and the things that please God and so on and so forth. So, mm -hmm. um, but anyway, that's the way I think about it. It's, they are, God gave them to show his heart in a lot of ways. And right, right. And I've said this before and I'll keep saying it until people get it. If you want to know what the law of God looks like in the Christian life, read Jesus's sermon on the Mount. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Matthew five, six, and seven. That's how you pattern your life. And, and I'm not saying this as if I've mastered it or got it down pat because <laughs> God knows I haven't, but you know, I, I think if you read that and you say, God, send your Holy spirit to apply this to my heart and my life mm -hmm. and help me to, to live this, then you are going to be much better off as a believer. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. absolutely. And, yeah. And, and that, I did want to bring up that I, I, if I didn't like Luke was very in Luke chapter two, he was very intentional about saying the phrase according to the law or as it is written in the law. I think it says, like I said in here, five times in just 11 verses, there was something that Luke was trying to say, according to the mm -hmm. law, as it was written in the law. It was very important for Luke to say that five times mm -hmm. in 11 verses is pretty important, you would say. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so that should tip us off to, eh, there's something important here, right? Maybe. Right. Yeah, because I think your, your closing sentence there really kind of sums it up. He says, talking about Jesus. He has been trained in the customs of the law by his earthly parents, but he recognizes that to do his father's will, he must seek wisdom and direction from above. And I think that's a great summary of both your introduction and this exploring the scripture and the conversation that we've been having, understanding that Jesus himself was instructed in the law and that he grew in wisdom as he received direction from above. And that's really what applies to our life is we are trained with the scriptures, that we have this training through the scriptures, but we grow in wisdom as we get direction from above. So it's an ever-changing thing. It's never going to be, I'm at the top of my game and I know everything I'm supposed to know and I'm, I have as much wisdom as I possibly can have. Um, you know, it's, it's a constant, it's a constant growth thing that we have to continually renew ourselves with. I think we talked about that a little bit earlier too, that re renewing ourselves, um, renewing our, our mind and how do we do that only by seeking wisdom from God and understanding the scripture and going back to the scripture and continuously studying the scripture. Do we grow in our wisdom and our knowledge from above? I think uh, as you were talking, it brought up another illustration. If you're if you're a preacher listening to this, here's some illustrations out the wazoo. So, um, <laughs> um, I do remember a Bible college professor also when when we talk about the law, the law becomes like a football coach in the sense of you know your fundamentals. Mm. You you these are the fundamentals of faith. These are the fundamentals of knowing who God is, what God desires. When you practice those even like a piano player once the piano player knows the foundational 
stuff they have to know, then you can start doing those, you know, um, what do you call them in, in music when, uh, I, I, something. Well, blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> no, what I'm saying, once you know the foundation or once you know a song real well, then you can start putting your own stuff in and you can start it making a different yeah. song and you can make it this beautiful thing, but you have to know those initial, you have to know all the foundational stuff overture, not right. an overture variations on a theme of whatever, like when, when people, okay. but you can add your own stuff in gotcha. it. Right. Yeah. Um, so or that'll come to me in a minute, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's, and it's that growth process that we're looking for because we're not, um, I think some people get the idea that you, you read through the scripture one time, you uh, say a little prayer, you, you do whatever required of you to become a Christian and then that's it. And it's not, it's, it's a lifetime of study. It is a lifetime of devotion. It is a lifetime of understanding that you are going to change as God changes you, as God creates you into this new being, as you walk the path that God has laid out for you. That's that growing in wisdom. That's that understanding. That's that getting that direction from above. That's, you know, all of that helps us become a better person. I'm about to offend some of our evangelical traditionalists. Uh -oh. um, <laughs> this we is can jobs. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't know, you know, I, I love Billy Graham. I think Billy Graham did a fantastic job preaching the gospel and presenting the gospel, but I don't know how well the crusades worked. As far as, as far as converting people to discipleship, there were a lot of people who were saved through those, mm -hmm. and their lives have been uh, changed in, in a positive direction because of those crusades. Yeah. But out of the many people that you saw walking down the aisles at the football stadiums and the and the arenas, how many of those people actually persevered to the end in their faith? Right. So and, that's, yeah, that's tough for him. I mean, he is an evangelist. But right. the local church, hopefully, that's where the breakdown Pick also. That up. Yeah. Well, well, the idea yeah. behind the Crusades was that Billy Graham's team, whoever worked with him, they would get those people involved in local churches so that right. they could continue to grow. But the problem is you can't guarantee that just because a church exists right. and supports a, a Billy Graham crusade that they will disciple mm -hmm. someone. Right. And so for the people who had a had a profound religious experience or whatever at the crusade but they didn't persevere to the end it's i can almost guarantee that it was because they were not properly discipled they did not get plugged into a place that consistently taught them okay this is how to live now okay this is what the bible is you know and i think we i think we're experiencing this problem in a lot of our churches today because we want the same level of success that we saw on tv when billy mm. graham would preach okay. but we don't want to do the hard work of keeping those people in the fold yeah. and the way you do that is through discipleship the way you do that is through taking them to the scriptures sunday after sunday 
and saying, okay, this matters in your life, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. And, and not only that, but this is what you are to teach your kids. And we have relegated theology and the teaching of Scripture to something that just happens on Sunday morning, maybe mm. Sunday night, and hopefully Wednesday night. Right. So I should bring that up, and I, and I failed to do so. I think what Logan is saying is right. And then in the digging deeper section, I did, mm-hmm. I should have said, like, knowledge is not wisdom. It's that right. uh, the uh, great commandment, you know, the greatest commandment is love the Lord. But then it has to go into action. You have to put it into that living life, loving your neighbor, doing the things that please God each and every week. And then um, improvisation, improvisation a pianist improvs when he, yes. that's what I was talking about. Okay. Once you know the fundamentals, okay. you can improv, you can, you can make right. it something else. All right. Now I'm done for that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a great, that was a great intro to the next section for digging deeper because you, you quote Proverbs nine ten, which says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy one is insight. Um, so what is that difference? What is that difference between knowledge and wisdom? That's just the application of what you receive. So Paul in mm-hmm. Corinthians or in different places will say knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, just because you know something that uh, does not mean that you're applying something. And so knowledge is very great, but the application of that knowledge, how you live, how you teach others, this is what wisdom is. I mean, this is, and, and I, well, yeah, so I would say, Knowing the right thing and doing the right thing, actually, I think is wisdom, (laughs) actually, would be a good way to think about it. Right, right. So knowledge is that knowing the right thing and the wisdom is applying that right thing to your life. Yeah, and sharing it with Actually doing it. Yeah, actually doing that. I think Max Lucado said it best whenever he said that uh, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put the tomato in the fruit salad. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I hadn't read that. So good for him. Yeah. There's a little Church Christ for you there, if I remember correctly, with Max. Lee. Yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, what else in the digging deeper section that you really want us to to pull out of out of here? I don't really have a lot. I will say, probably in every lesson I have, I've always tried to bring out one thing. All of this happens with intentionality too. Like mm-hmm. you have to be intentional in your spiritual life. You have to be intentional in your walk with Christ and your gaining of wisdom and knowledge. It's an intentional thing. Like even I've said this before, even Paul and his Damascus road experience, he spent his entire life studying the scriptures. It's not as though just one day, everything changed. I mean, his focus changed, but he was just intentional. Just, you have to be intentional in your spiritual Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. Well, and and to that point, Oh, oh, no, your head. Go ahead. All right. Well, and to that point in the in the second paragraph on the digging deeper section, you said that uh, according to the Old Testament, the wise person not only has knowledge of God and the law, but applies their knowledge in ways that glorify God and show care for their fellow humans. And then you bring up this this fascinating quote by Doctor Welton. Uh, you know that uh, where did where did uh, the Hebrew word chokma, uh, as used in the Old Testament, stands for wisdom. In the more special significance of the word, it denotes wisdom with a strong ethical quality as rooting itself in the fear of the Lord. 
and applying the truths of divine revelation to the various relations and circumstances of, of life wisdom, in a word, as all-inclusive of virtue. Um, and so when I read that, the first thing I thought was that our decision-making, every decision we make in life, it has to be connected and, and rooted to our fear of God. It has mm. to be connected and rooted to our reverence for God. So mm -hmm. think, about, think about a lot of the decisions you make every day. Think, think about what you do in a work day at the office or wherever you work. How are your decisions connected to your reverence for God? Mm -hmm. How, mm -hmm. what about the way you treat people? What about the way you treat your boss? What about the way you treat your coworkers? How are the, how are those decisions connected to your fear of God? What about the way you treat your, your wife and or spouse whenever you get home from work? How are those things connected to your fear of God? Uh, you know, Chris, Chris is absolutely right. We need to be intentional about these things. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I think intentionality was definitely a key um, theme and reading through this entire lesson, um, there's a lot of intentionality um, that you brought up, whether it's being intentional about your how you treat others or intentional about our thoughts and meditating on God's word, intentional. It's Logan, you're right. It's it's so important um, that we look at the fear of the Lord. And when we say fear of the Lord, we're not meaning you know, terrified, ah, you know, run and scream and terror fear, but that awe, that reverential fear, um, being intentional and understanding that it's because we have reverence for God. It's because we have faith in who he is that we act and say and do the things that we do in our day-to-day -day lives. And, and I think another thing we should point out is that um, the more you intentionally make these decisions and do them, these things will turn into a habit. Um, right. And I think someone said one time that takes 21 days to it takes consistently doing something for 21 days in order for it to become a habit. So for 21 days, you know, make your focus thinking about the fear of the Lord in your decision making, thinking about how this reflects your witness, uh, you know, make that a part of your thinking for 21 days and watch what happens over the course of that 21 days and see how that works out in your life afterwards. Right. How much that changes your mindset. You know, Chris, you, you brought that up before about Paul, that he had spent his entire life studying scriptures and, and what was the mindset? It was the, that visit that, interaction that he had with Christ himself that went from this being the focus to completely shifting that mindset, understanding that he had all of this base knowledge, but now he was looking at it from a completely different perspective, That's you know, and that, those, those three days, I can only imagine, you know, just what must have been going through Paul's mind as he searched through all of the knowledge that he had on all of the scriptures and just went, holy cow. I don't think he said holy cow, but <laughs> holy cow, how much has this changed? You know, just from looking at it from one perspective to another. And yeah, I actually, think okay, when, yeah, you bring up we, a good thing. When God really touches our hearts, when we really understand who Jesus is and how he's working through our life, and when we read scripture, that wisdom that he gives us, it can really, it can really completely change your mindset. Completely yeah. So change how you view the world. 
I think what you brought up is really important. Actually, now that again, now that I'm thinking about it, nothing <laughs> changed about Paul's knowledge from being a murderous persecutor of Christians. He had the exact same knowledge up until his experience with Christ and the Holy Spirit that changed. And then mm-hmm. he became a wise person in, in spiritually wise person. Then he, right. so, so that, that shows the difference of what I'm trying to say with knowledge. Uh, Paul was doing good. According to Judaism, he was being good. He was doing the things that a good Jew would do, but then wisdom comes and it, mm-hmm. and he, he knew that he wasn't being right or good. And so, mm-hmm. but, you know, same knowledge, different experience, Holy Spirit applies applies it to the life, yeah. all that good stuff. Yeah. And how many of us have had that happen where we thought we were doing something good and we had this knowledge, but then Christ interceded somewhere in our life and went, what are you doing? <laughs> and that's the way wisdom works and it's intentional. Yeah. So absolutely. Absolutely. Anything else on the digging deeper section before we move on? I'm good with it. Good, good. Okay. Learning from scripture, the witness of the church. What was your point in this one? Uh, what I wanted to bring out here is that the primary vehicle by which just really just like happened in the life of Jesus was mom and dad making sure that their child was exposed to the, to the goodness of God through the observances of the law, through the rituals, through the participation in the faith community and, and them taking upon that responsibility. The church was important and they're part of the congregation, but Joseph and Mary were intentional about exposing their children to the presence of God. And I think that's my biggest thing there, the importance of the family unit. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things yeah. I don't think people think about very much is whenever they have kids, you know, obviously whenever they're, whenever they're about to have kids, they think about all the responsibilities that they have to take upon themselves in raising their kid and in make in feeding them, you know, making sure they don't die. Um, it's a good and, thing. But you're right. <laughs> it's very important. But one of the things they don't think about is the responsibility they have to disciple their children. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think we think discipleship is again, we think discipleship is just relegated to something the pastor does on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and maybe Wednesday night. Um, but you know, discipleship needs to happen in the home. The primary vehicle to transmit the wisdom of God is the family as the lesson says. Um, And so what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, disciple and catechize your children. Uh, We, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church has a catechism. We've had a catechism for years. Uh, It was recently revised in 2008, right? See, Becky's holding it up. Beautiful little blue book. Beautiful little blue book. It it matches our confession of faith very well for you ladies worried about color schemes. Um, (laughs) And so... You know, the, the catechism is the basics of Cumberland Presbyterian doctrine and theology. And the idea behind the catechism um, is, is that you teach your children to memorize the questions and the answers. You use it kind of like flashcards. You, um, I can't remember the first question of ours right offhand, but I know the old catechism. Right. I know the old catechism was the, the first question. Was, okay. What is the chief purpose? I'll tell you what it is. In demand, depending on your Make sure this is the revised edition that I'm in. Yeah. Well, while she's okay. looking that so, up in the... Who is God? Yes, first question first is question. who is God? And what's the first answer? 
God is the one living, active creator of all that is seen and unseen. Right. And so if you if you take your children through these questions and answers of the catechism and have and teach them to memorize these things and teach, teach them to digest them and think about them, or maybe you don't even teach your kids to memorize them. Maybe you think that's too much on them. At bedtime, just just read them a question and answer and talk about it with them. You know, the idea is that you use these tools to help your children know what they should believe and why they should believe it. And mm-hmm. we've, we've, mm-hmm. got this, we've gotten into this dangerous thinking in the evangelical world where we think, oh, we just need to let our kids grow up and choose their faith for themselves. And th- no, we are a Cumberland Presbyterian church. We are a Cumberland Presbyterian people who believe in the baptism of infants because we do not believe in a faith that you claim for yourself. We believe in a faith that claims you. Mm, and so mm. by and so your children because they are your children if you're a believer they are members of the covenant they are members of the covenant by by being connected into your family and that's what baptism for them means and so you need to teach them what their baptism mm-hmm. means you need to teach them what the church means you need to teach them who god is that's your responsibility as a parent it is and and i get as part of my job that I, i'm I'm hired to give tools to adults, not just to grow in their faith, but how they can share their faith with their children. I mean, that's mm-hmm. part of what I do. And and I have sympathy with people who say, well, I'm not smart enough in theology or I'm not good enough in these areas to share with my kid. But that's number one might be true. Doesn't have to be. You can fix that. First of all, I mean, like you can and you can and you can do it in such a way that even if you don't know what you think that's share with your kid and study together. We have a catechism to say, okay, here's what we believe. Even if you don't know it, figure out why we would have that in our catechism, share that Mm -hmm. with your kids. I mean, it's a journey. Um, And again, that's an intentionality. You might not feel like you're smart enough or good enough to disciple your kids, but I promise that's the purpose why you were given children is so that you could. And, and, and I don't say that to intimidate anybody, but um, it, if you do get your kid baptized, you might want to make sure they know why, and the content of why they were baptized and so on and so forth. But I get it. And, and Absolutely. So anyway, yeah. Well, uh, R.J. Grunewald said that everyone is a theologian. The question is, are you a good one or a bad one? That's true. And so, and, and so for you people out there thinking, well, I'm not all that theolog- theologically inclined, I'm not, you know, that's okay. You know, as long as you have, as long as you have the Bible and you have the church, and you have, as long as you have the Bible and you have the church, and you actually want to see your kids grow in their relationship with God, mm-hmm. then, then you'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Reach out mm-hmm. to your pastor. Reach out to your elders. Reach out to us. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll help you. We'll help. You know, that's that's a great point, Logan. I'm really glad you said that. Because coming from like my perspective where I came to church later, okay, I I took quite a big chunk of my children's life out of church. Um, And I did not come back to church until my children were teenagers. Um, And so I missed a great portion of that fundamental teaching and ability to give my children that. And because of that, um, because I was still understanding who I was in my faith 
and where I was in my faith. I really kind of relegated kind of what you said before about allowing my children to choose because they were at that age where I didn't feel I had any authority to, even though I was her, their mom, you know, isn't that interesting, but I did not feel confident in my position in life to relegate authority on their personal belief. So even if you're like me and you're in that position where maybe you came to church later in life or um, maybe you're just very uncomfortable, reach out for help. You know, exactly what you said, Logan, talk to your pastor, talk to your elders, talk to a trusted friend, because what you teach your kids now helps them shape who they're going to be later helps them understand their relationship with God and their relationship within the Christian community. Um, and anything you give them is better than giving them nothing at this point in their life. Yeah. I want to make sure. And, and don't feel guilty. Yeah. Like, you know, don't feel guilty about that. I missed a big chunk of my kid's life because I was off doing exactly what I wasn't supposed to be doing, but praise God, he loves me and let me come home. You know, um, <laughs> So don't feel guilty about that. Just start where you are today. That's what I was going to say. That's okay. You brought up something. I want to make sure everybody listening to this understands. Like we all, we've all messed it up. That's why we have Christ. And what it looks like if you have a 17 year old that you're all of a sudden like, you're going to be at church on Sunday morning, whether you like it, probably not going to work. But that being said, kids constantly look at you anyway. Mm -hmm. And if you have a fundamental change in life, it's as simple as, as making sure, you know, you testify and say, well, yeah, I've changed and here's why. And they might listen to you now. They might not. But again, I think what we do is we be intentional in the situations that we are. Like yeah. if you've got a youngin and you have the opportunity, get them to church. And if you don't, God gives you grace and God redeems the lost years. That's a, that's a uh, promise in scripture. And so don't, beat yourself up like Becky. I don't want anybody to think that, but you know, yeah. Start where you're at. Like Becky says, start where you're at today. Start where mm-hmm. you're at and don't be afraid to ask for help. Never be afraid to ask for help. You know, I should have asked for help at that point in my life and I didn't. Um, but praise God again, that I have an opportunity today to teach and share and show not only my kids, but now my grandkids that I have the opportunity to help disciple them. I want to say something else too, right here, because this is something that's really heavy on my heart. Even like a parent needs the church. So when a child is baptized, one of the congregate or one of the questions that is asked is asked to the congregation. Will you help teach and mold? I forgot the exact question. Will you as a congregation Mm -hmm. be in the life of this child? There are so many times where I wished I had at least one other person helping me out with my kid. They don't want to listen to me. But if somebody in the church, like if it was one of my other, you know, my son, if there was a couple men in the church that would have taken interest in him to help him out, they might listen to him. If anything else, it's another resource for, for him to be discipled. And, and mm-hmm. so I really want to encourage everybody that's listening. If you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're just in the pews or whatnot, take an interest in the child that's in your church. It's not as hard to do as you think, man. Like, you can just say hi a couple times to a kid and they think that they're hot stuff and you can <laughs> send birthday cards and you can be encouraging and yeah. you can talk to the parents and say, Hey, what way can I help you? And just helping you right with, with right. this kid. That is so yeah. deeply important. I, I 
I so wish we had just one or two more people mm -hmm. uh, that would just look. I mean, like the Jewish understanding was that it was a community and the community helped raise a kid. Spiritually mm -hmm. speaking. Anyway. I yeah, think you say that really in your, in your thing, you said the new Testament calls it discipleship. Discipleship starts within the family unit, but what is the family? I mean, yes, the family unit is mom, dad, kids, but we as a church, as a, a community of fellowship of believers, we're a family unit. And so we're supposed to be looking out and helping take care of and encouraging and building up each other um, and strengthening each other's faith within our community, within our context as a family unit. Yes. And, well, if y'all don't have anything, I think that actually probably helps us go into the applying discussion because. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I and, mean, and I want to highlight here before we jump into our applying scripture, oh, this is our discussion question for the week. So our discussion question for the week is in what ways did your parents disciple you while you were growing up? And how have you instilled Christian virtues in your own family? And I think that's a great thing for us to really reflect on and think about, um, you know, what things did our parents do for us and what are we doing for our family? And maybe we should expand upon that further of not just saying our own nuclear family, but our own church family, our context, wherever we are, how are we helping instill those Christian virtues within that family? Yeah, um, I'll say this real quick. I mean, the reason I'm a Christian is because my mom was absolutely 100% insistent that we went to at least Easter service. And that's where I was converted. Like I had no care at all for the church, but at least one of the ways that she tried to pass the faith on was just Easter service. You're going to church with me, right? And, right. and glory be to God. Thanks to God. Amen. God called me to at that time, but it was at least her way of doing so. I was one of those 17 year kids like, no, nah, you can't talk to me, <laughs> but I don't want to hurt my mother by not going to Easter service. Right. So right. like, anyway, it was important. Yeah. Amen. All right. Yeah, applying in scripture. Where are we at? Um, I am talking too much, but I will say, um, I don't know. I was a little off on this one. I know what I was trying to say. So what I was trying to say is, is that Ultimately, God is creating a family, a spiritual family, brothers and sisters under the parenthood of God. And so like just in the same way that God uses material items such as bread and wine or juice to convey the sacrifice of Christ and grace. God also does that with our family unit, with our moms and dads. Mm -hmm. I've you know, when I became a parent, I thought pretty deeply about parenthood. And I think the reason why parenthood and the family unit is so important is like when, when you have a baby, you are God's representative to that thing, mm. <laughs> that, that little yeah. thing. And so when you touch that baby, that's how the baby understands the touch of God. When you care for that baby, that's how the baby understands submission to a, to authority or, or whatnot. And so moms and dads, when done right, reflect all of God to that child. Mm. And then the flip side then is true. And so I brought this up when Jesus, though he didn't have to necessarily, the scripture was pretty, pretty, you know, specific to say, and he obeyed, like he went with them. 
and the flip side for us, for the kids is that by submitting to the parent, they are submitting to God's representative in their life and they're learning mm-hmm. submission. Uh, and so I think that might be the first step of wisdom for anybody is number one, that a parent acknowledges that they are truly honest to goodness, God's holy presence in the life of a helpless baby. As a baby grows up, they're all, you know, they submit to their parents because they are God's representative. That's the first start of wisdom. It's a fear of their parents or a reverence for parents. And then the parents having a fear or reverence of God to treat that child the way they, that God would have them be treated and so on and so forth. And so I think that's the, um, I almost, I, since I've been married, I've almost come to the conclusion that if I were to be an early reformer, I would have made marriage a sacrament, family a sacrament in some sense, because mm. I don't think I've learned more grace or have experienced more grace in my life than with my family. Right. So, Amen. yeah, I heard a, I heard a CP preacher recently um, who said that she believed that we should uh, convene at general, uh, general uh, uh, council. Yeah. Council. I kept wanting to say conference. We should convene at general council and, uh, see if we can make marriage a sacrament, the confession of faith. <laughs> I mean, like I, I've never experienced uh, communion is deeply important. My baptism was important, but right. aside from those two, I have been through the grace rudder <laughs> <laughs> through family, and I know yes. me better, and I know what my role is, and I yeah. understand God better because I'm a parent and a husband. Anyway, yes. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, in in the applying the scripture section, you talk about the or you you bring up the great commission to, to start out with, you know Matthew twenty eight eighteen eighteen through twenty. Um, one of the things that I I want to bring up is a book by Dallas Willard called The Great Omission. Um, and I feel like this book actually I want to bring up two books. I want to bring up The Great Omission by Dallas Willard, and I want to bring up You Are What You Love by James K. A. Smith. Yes. That's good. Um, in The Great Omission, Dallas Willard basically talks about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And he says that he makes the argument that we are forgetting the most crucial in part of part of the Great Commission. The most crucial part of the Great Commission is um uh, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Mm-hmm. We have, we have tremendously failed to teach people to do what Jesus has said, because whenever, um, well, I see this, how do I want to say this? I see this uh, very commonly in my neck of the woods that people will say, people will look at the challenges of Scripture, particularly from Jesus, and they'll say, oh, well, I can't do that, so I might as well not even try. I'm saved by grace anyway, so that doesn't matter. And that really irritates me. Um, so, what, so what Dallas Willard argues for in The Great Omission is that we need to be teaching our churches, we need to be teaching our people how to, how to do what Jesus said to do. We need to be teaching our, our people to read the scripture and to and to engage with spiritual disciplines and let that shape and form their lives, which brings up my next recommendation, You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. In, in You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith, he makes the argument that your patterns and your practices um, shape and form you as a person. And one of the first things he does without 
current without going too lengthy into my into this part portion of the show um he uses the the mall as an illustration he basically says that you know when you walk into he said let's say you walk into this big giant temple and there's different sanctuaries in the temple and when you walk in a priest is there to greet you and they say how can we help you find your fulfillment today and as you walk around, you find you see that people are searching for something, but they can't find what they're searching for. And then he continues the illustration, this elaborate illustration. And he said, the more you the more you look at it, the more you realize you're not in a temple at all. You're in the mall. Yeah. And people hmm. are looking for people are going to church looking for satisfaction and looking for fulfillment the same way they would look for a pair of jeans at the mall. And interesting. Okay. And they yeah and they want they want the coolest they want the coolest looking pair of jeans for the for the least amount of cost okay. and they're not you know and they're not finding it because discipleship is costly discipleship is always costly yes, yeah. yes. and i think so, that probably uh, maybe when we say fear of the lord is beginning wisdom when i'm thinking about just applying the scripture and i think about the submission like I think that consumer mentality hurts Christians as much as it does churches in the sense of, you know, you submit to a church. Like that's the only way to think about it. I mean, churches can practice discipline, churches can, but when you, when you pull out, you know, or start shopping around or you don't have that sub submission in your mind, you, it's hard to gain wisdom. The only thing you can do is, you know, kind of prop yourself up a little bit. And mm -hmm. when you think about it like that, it's right. Um, Again, I'm not trying to make people think that if there's a terrible church going on, you have to stick with it. But at the same right. time, a lot of times church hopping happens because somebody don't like certain music or songs or whatever. And that's not how you roll either. So the relationship then with the church is very superficial. Yeah, I mean, it can be. Right. And people's relationship with wisdom is pretty superficial, too. So there you go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And one thing I want to bring up going back to the going back to the Billy Graham crusades and going back to you know using the sinner's prayer as a format or whatever I think the Billy Graham crusades and the sinner's prayer and all the uh, all the altar call stuff that we saw with the rise of DL Moody and those guys I think that did for Christianity what the industrial revolution did for factories and stuff you got products out faster with these new factories and these new you know whatever but the, the but the products weren't as well made you just got product out faster and mm, so mm. and so what the sinner's prayer and all these crusades did is they won a lot of converts but they didn't make a lot mm -hmm. of disciples mm -hmm. and i feel and like i think that was that's the key point of this i think applying scripture is discipling is is making disciples and it's beyond the superficial it's going deeper it's understanding that it's a lifetime of uh, work it's not just going to happen overnight that it is a continued process that maybe you came off the factory line but now you've got to put some effort into it and there's and there's a whole lot more that goes into that process Right. And I heard uh, one more quote. I heard one preacher say that the Bible never tells us to go win souls. The Bible instead mm. tells us to make disciples. Yeah. Winning is an event. Making is a process. Yeah. Mm. I like that. Making is a process. Yeah, absolutely.
That's and it, really, Okay. You really hit with the family. I, I really love um, how you close out that discipleship is really about the family. And again, I just want to reiterate, it's not, it, yes, it is a nuclear family, but it's also our church family. That's where we disciple. That's where we learn. That's where we encourage, um, build up each other. Yeah. I said I was done. So, but that's the point of the book. Like, <laughs> yes. like there's dysfunction in churches everywhere. There's dysfunction in families, even good ones. And that's how you learn. I mean, like it literally is a reflection of God's plan for, for humanity is the nuclear family. Yeah. And so uh, yeah. it's just terrible sometimes, but it's also so deeply wonderful sometimes. And so, yeah. there you go. Well, that sounds like church. Right. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Right. I mean, <laughs> yes. like, there's, there's absolutely no reason in the world we think a church should be as perfect as the family you're in. Like no reason whatsoever. <laughs> anyway, you know, the, I think there's a, there's a quote that's often, there's a quote that's often attributed to Augustine. Um, and I don't know if he actually said it or not, but it's attributed to him. And it says that it says uh, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. Yeah, that's attributed to him. I don't know. I haven't, I've read a lot of Augustine. So basically, you know, what he, and the point of the quote was to say, yeah, there's a lot of bad things that go on in churches and there's a lot of churches that have fallen by the wayside, but, uh, you know, the church is all we got. She's our family. Mm-hmm. And we learn. And we learn, we learn about each other, but we also learn about ourselves where our shortcomings are and how we need to change and where we can apply, you know, and pray for God's wisdom to be applied to our life. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, friends, thank you. It was a Christmas special. And so this after right after Christmas, thank you all for taking time. And Becky, thank you for being the host today. And then Logan, I'm going to hope that you'll do the hosting and uh, next week, so what we're trying to do here is to develop all of our skills and, and uh, responsibilities so that we can do the best we can for our churches. And thank you for being here and um, until next week. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>